Thank you, choir and orchestra, for leading us in worship this morning. We know that this is a busy time of the year. It's hard to believe that we're already in December. And that means that we are just a week away from our Christmas program. And so I want to reiterate what Mason said earlier. We want to take this time to invite friends and family. People are more open than ever in coming uh, to church and, and being a part of something uh, that is Christmas, so what better opportunity to bring them to hear the gospel. Uh, before we get started this morning, I would like to open with a word of prayer, so bow your heads. Father God, I just want to come before you this morning. I pray, Lord God, that your spirit would fill this place. I ask God that your words would ring true. I pray, Father, for clarity. I pray that I would speak not my words, but yours. I pray, Lord, that we would be challenged, that we would be comforted, that we would be encouraged by your word. That we would go out and we would be the disciples that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you pause and you think about what's going on in the world, it doesn't seem like there's a week that goes by that we don't hear about some uh, new terrorist act. If you think about the spiritual state of the United States of America, things look quite different. When you even think about the big decision that we have on the table here at Metropolitan Baptist Church on the location and the building, I feel like we're at a pivotal point in the life of this church We're at a pivotal point in the world and in the United States of America. And so when Mason asked if if I would be willing to preach, there were two things that God immediately laid on my heart. And so I spent the better bit of uh, Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday, really praying and asking God to reveal uh, what message that he would have me share this morning. And uh, I came to the place where I, I was excited about what he has laid on my heart. Now, a little interesting side note, this sermon actually started on May 17th back in 2011. Now, I have not been preparing this sermon for the past four years, but I keep everything on the computer, and there are times where God just lays stuff on my heart, and I will just do a brain dump. And so I will sit down, and I will just start typing. And so I'm not sure exactly what was going on on May 17th of 2011, But I do know that God had something in store, and so I was just waiting for his go-ahead, his nod to say, now's the time. When you think about us in general, and I know this is a a generalization, but we have a tendency to be an impatient people. We live in a fast-paced world. Uh, Even this morning on the way uh, to church, uh, we take a route coming down uh, McLean, and we hit every single stoplight. I don't know if you're like me, but I do not like hitting stoplights. And I looked at Christy and I said, well, this ties in well with the message. Because why? Why? And finally we hit a couple green ones and I was, I was celebrating. When you think about just this past week, we had Black Friday. Now, I could be wrong on this, but this is the first time in history that I remember Black Friday actually starting on Thursday, on Thanksgiving, at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m., stores were opening. Cyber Monday, which is fairly new, 
was starting on Sunday. Cyber Monday lasted all week long. Even the stores cannot wait to get your money. When we think about uh, Amazon and online retailers, one of the things that they can't do is give us instant gratification. And so Amazon's working on same-day delivery. Just this past week, I ran across this video of Amazon Prime Air. Now, you guys have probably heard that Amazon's trying to do uh, these drone deliveries. It's here. It is here. They're starting to work on it. They actually showed a video of this drone taking a package. You can watch it on YouTube sometime. They took a package, and they show actual flight footage of this thing getting to your doorstep in 30 minutes. We don't like to wait. We're always looking to make things quicker. I think the microwave was one of the greatest inventions known to man. When you think of fast food restaurants, think about this for a moment. You pull up in your car, you speak to this little device that now has a screen on there, you tell it what you want, and in a couple of minutes you've got a full meal. Now, it's not that healthy, but it's still a full meal. When it comes to sharing videos and photos with friends, we want to do it instantly. We don't want to wait. Email and text message. When we send out an email or a text message, there's now this expectancy that we're going to get a reply in a prompt manner. Now, email, I think, is a little bit longer. But with the text message, you, you think, well, they got their phone with them, right? Why haven't I heard from them? We live in a fast-paced world. Our cell phones alone, the speed and the information that we can access at our fingertips is crazy. Phones are starting to develop turbocharging or fast-paced charging because they've seen this younger generation, they go into panic mode when their batteries are on low. So they're putting bigger batteries and they're making them charge faster. In 15 minutes, you get eight hours worth of usage. It drives me nuts when my computer slows down. I hate working on a slow machine. If I go to a website, <laughs> if I go to a website, I don't want to wait for it load, to load. It ought to be instant. And I don't know how many times I've gone to a website and it's not loading and I hit the back button and I'm going to find some other website that works, right? I could go on and on. Now, Google, they even are prideful of how quickly they get you their results. So they get you millions of results. You look in the little bar, and it tells you how fast they got them to you, right? They know what we want. We want to see prompt responses. But see, here's where the big problem arises when it comes to our spiritual lives. God doesn't work that way. We're in a hurry but usually God's not. He always has a plan and a purpose for everything. See, we run into issues because we often think that we're ready. And the reality is we don't even have all the details. We want God to work within our time frame. But God rarely does things according to our time frame. Just as when parents are trying to decide when their kids get old enough, when are they going to get their first cell phone? When are they going to start driving a car? When are they going to go on their first date? As a parent, you hope you know you have the time is right. 
and you hope that they're ready for it. You hope that you're ready for it, but you have their best interest at heart, and so does God with us. It's not always a no when we pray for something, but sometimes God says, well, hold on. You're not ready yet. Sometimes I feel like, I feel like God is sitting there, and, and he's just full of excitement. He's like, no, j- just wait. Wait till you see what I have in store for you. The time is not right. You are not ready. But when the time is right, I am going to blow your mind. So whether you're, you're sitting here, you're thinking about, well, do you see what everything's going on in the world? Jesus, when are you going to return? I know I've heard that question asked. Maybe you're like me. You're thinking, God, when are you going to reveal your answer on the decision for this building and location? Maybe you have someone in your life that is dealing with an illness and you're, you're praying for recovery, you're praying for healing. Or maybe you have a big decision in your life and you're just waiting for God to reveal his answer to you so that he can guide you and, and direct you into that next step. Whatever you're waiting for, my hope is that you're placing your absolute trust in him. In this passage that we're going to get to here in just a moment, there's the word wait that we're going to come across. Now some of you might be aware of this, but in Hebrew, it has a deeper meaning. That deeper meaning is eager anticipation. It paints a very different picture than just what we often think of when we hear the word wait. Kids at this time of the year, they eagerly anticipate what gifts they're going to receive that year. You get a new job, there's eager anticipation on what this is going to do for your career. You get married. You eagerly anticipate starting this new life with your spouse. The birth of a child. You eagerly anticipate what this is going to do in your life. You buy a new home or you move into a new home and there's that eager anticipation about what your family is going to be like and how you're going to get to raise them in this location. Eager anticipation paints an image of excitement. But I tell you, when I hear the word waiting, we often associate boring. Now, I think about the doctor's office. You sit and you wait. You arrive maybe even early. It's long. It's boring. Sometimes you've got bad music playing. Sometimes there's anxiety associated with it. But when I hear the word wait, there's almost this negative feel with it. Now, there are certain things that by God's design takes time. When you think about the birth of a child, it takes nine months for this baby to be developed in the mother's womb. But in all honesty, I sometimes think it's also nine months for the parents to get ready for when that child comes along. I know at the end of nine months with our first child, when she came and the the hospital told us it's time to go, and I was like, no, no, you guys know what you're doing. I don't know yet. I'm just trying to figure this thing out. But God designed it that way. He knows that we need that time of preparation. It used to be that it took about 18 years for kids to grow up in a household, move out on their own, go to college, start a career. Now that's moved into the mid-20s. Now if you ask my in-laws, I'm saying, why did it take you 35 years, Josh? Times have changed some, but there's certain things that just take time to develop. 
when we look at examples from Scripture, there are examples all over the place of things that took extended periods of time. Creation to the flood. Now, according to some sources, took approximately 1,656 years. God waited. When they built the ark, 55 to 7, 75 years is the estimated time to build the ark. We know that the people of Israel, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. God was developing them into a nation, and Moses, their leader, didn't even get to participate in the promised land that was to come. We know that, that King David, it took approximately 15 years from his anointing to his kingship. When you look at the Old Testament, going into the New Testament, there were thousands of people that were waiting over 400 years to hear from God. They were waiting to see this promised Messiah that they had been hearing about. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. 400 years. When they last heard of him, heard from him. See, God has a reason and a timing for everything, but we can be an impatient people. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Unfortunately, sometimes we try to dumb God down to doing things our way, for him to see things our way, and we think that God... You just don't understand. You don't know what I'm going through. Could you just give me an answer? Here's the reality. He does know. He does understand. And we try to box him into our time frame and our way of doing things. I want you guys to turn with me to our passage this morning, Isaiah chapter 40. I want to challenge you uh, this week. Maybe uh, you were familiar with this passage we're going to read this morning. I want to challenge you this week to uh, spend some time meditating on this chapter this week. It has been an absolute blessing this week for me to sit and just read through this over and over again. So I want to challenge you this week to read all of chapter 40. We're going to pick up in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollows of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? And closed the dust of the earth in a measure. And weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge? And showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. And are accounted as the dust on the scales, behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Just that section alone brings me to a place of absolute awe. Of the one that I call my father. The power that he possesses. 
the understanding that he has. No one can give him counsel. Verse 18, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and cast it for its silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. And then he seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. This is the God that we worship. It ought to bring us to our knees to know that we can have a personal relationship with the one that has been there from the beginning. Who sits above all, knows all, sees all, and understands everything. Verse 25 To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by his greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That passage really puts you in place. It gives you a deep understanding of the God that we have a relationship with, the one that we worship, and helps me better understand who I am in relation to him. And that passage closes out with that word wait, that eager anticipation, wait with expectation. God wants us to expect that something is going to happen, eager anticipation of what God is going to do. Now if my trust is fully surrendered to the Lord, who am I to do anything but wait with eager anticipation. That ought to be my heart on a daily basis. That I'm always waiting to see what is it that you're going to do, God. That I can't wait. I'm excited to see what God is going to do. Why does God make us wait? As preparing for this sermon, I came across uh, this site that had five uh, reasons why God makes us wait. I'm going to put them up on the screen there. 
I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time there, pretty self-explanatory, but I think you could really almost do a sermon series, uh, four or five series with these. Number one, waiting reveals our true motives. Waiting builds patience in our lives. Waiting builds anticipation. Waiting transforms our character. Waiting builds intimacy and dependency upon God. It is during the time of waiting that our hearts begin to change and we begin to trust in Him. Now probably out of this list, probably my favorite one is number five. I think this is something we could use, all of us, probably use just a little bit more of. Waiting builds an intimacy with this God that we just read about. And we become more and more dependent upon Him, upon His power, and upon His Spirit to do the things that He desires. Many times, I feel like we can get it wrong. We feel like we're waiting on God when it's actually the other way around. God's waiting on us. He's waiting, waiting for us to be ready for what he has in store. God is often waiting on us for our hearts to not just change, but to align with his. We don't like to wait, but sometimes God has us wait for our own benefit. God wants what's best, which means that sometimes he makes us wait so that he gets what he wants for us. God works overtime. To draw us to, our, to himself. He wants our very character and the nature of our being to be a reflection of his. It's during those times of waiting with eager anticipation that God is not silent. But he's actually working on us. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 and 13 says this. Beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now obviously, not all waiting is truly suffering. But much of our waiting can be a trial that we are facing in life. Now, in a believer's life, the ultimate goal, whether through trial, suffering, or just waiting on God, is for his glory to be revealed. Maybe it's in our life. Maybe it's something that we're involved with. And so we ought to rejoice in his presence that he is at work in our hearts. So whether it's an answer to a big question in your life, or maybe it's some trial in the life of your family, Or maybe you look at the world and you're asking, God, please hurry, come again. We must rest in his presence and hold on to the promise that he is at work and his glory will be revealed when he's ready. There are things in this life that do take time to develop. One of the things that immediately comes to mind is exercise. If any of you have ever tried to get in shape, It takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. When I was in the seventh grade, we were living in Costa Rica. 
And uh, it was probably the time in my life where I hit my biggest growth spurt. I wasn't as tall as I am now, but I, I was growing. And I fell in love with the game of basketball. And in my house, we had ceilings that were about, I think they were seven and a half, eight feet, somewhere in there. And I kid you not, I jumped around that house like a kangaroo. It drove my parents nuts. Josh, would you stop hopping around? My goal was to hit my head on the ceiling. You're like, Josh, you're not that smart. Don't you know you might knock yourself out? Well, they were those free-floating tiles, so I knew they'd give a little if I did ever get to it. And so I hopped around the house, and I would jump as high as I could to try to hit my head on the ceiling. Then I discovered in seventh grade, I discovered these things called calf raises. And I heard, these things are going to help increase my calf strength, and I will be well on my way to dunking. That was my ultimate goal. So one night, I go into my bedroom. I can't remember if I was on my bed or I found something sturdy, and I just did up and down, right before going to bed. I knocked out 200 of them. And I thought, man, 200 of them? I'll be dunking in no time. 200 tonight, 200 tomorrow. So I go to bed, fall asleep, and in all honesty, I was not tired after doing the 200. It really, I was like, I could have done more, but I was tired. The next morning, I get up. I could not walk. I basically stumbled out of my bed. I was grounded. There was no jumping. My parents said, uh, son, What's wrong with you? So I don't know. I can't walk. They went to my friends and said, what did Josh do yesterday? There's something wrong with him. I hadn't put two and two together. And finally, it dawned on me. I'm like, I did do 200 calf raises last night. They go, well, there's the reason. I honestly thought that I was going to quickly gain enough muscle to start dunking. See, when God's at work, it often takes time for him to develop the heart and the character in us that he desires. Because we have this thing called sin, we have this thing called pride, we have our own will, God has to chip away at those things that keep us from aligning our hearts with his. So just as with any exercise, you're breaking down that muscle. You're breaking down those fibers to build stronger muscles in its place. So God is often chipping away at the things in our heart so that we can align our hearts with his. His timetable is very different. And it's outside of this fast-paced world that we live in. And see, when our hearts do begin to align with his, then our perspective begins to change. And then over time, we begin to see that God's timing is perfect. Because remember, I read Galatians 4.4. 4, 400 years. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. See, God was setting the stage. See, God's always at work. He is always setting the stage for His glory to be revealed. He's setting the stage in our lives, 
in this church, in this city, in this country, and in this world. When we come to this realization and gain the proper perspective, you see, God is at work and He's setting the stage for His glory and no one else's. We can rest in that. And we can have this peace that the Bible talks about. A peace that surpasses all understanding. When we understand the God that we worship, His understanding is unsearchable. No matter what you're dealing with in life, even through those difficult trials or those big decisions that we have, if we cling to God, now that doesn't mean that we just sit by and we wait, but we're actively pursuing Him. We know that there are things that God has called us to do, but we wait with an eager anticipation of what He's going to do to reveal His glory. He's working. He is setting His stage for His glory to be revealed. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 5. I want to close out this message with a reading from from this uh, particular chapter that talks about this peace that God does in a believer's life. And when we rely on Him, we begin to see how He is at work in our lives during those periods of time in which we are waiting. But I hope that you walk out of here this morning with a different idea. We're not waiting on God. He's waiting on us. And so we ought to be doing everything that we can to make sure that our hearts, as individuals and as a church, are aligned with His. So that no matter what He calls us to do, in our own personal lives or our lives as a church, we are willing to do it. Because it's for His glory and not ours. Verse 1 of chapter 5 in Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into His grace, into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. We know that God is at work. We read many times in scriptures and we see all those examples in scripture in which God took time to set the stage. And at the right time, God sent his son to this earth to redeem us, to pay that penalty of sin in our lives. 
and at the right time, in verse 6, is at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God knows what he's doing. He knows the exact timetable in which he's going to reveal himself. So whether there's concerns about what's going on in the world, what's going on here in the United States, what's going on here at church, or even in your own personal life, God's in control. He's got it. But sometimes we consume ourselves with worry and concern. But I can tell you right now, as a believer, we don't have anything to worry about. He's in control. He knows when the time is right. He will reveal himself, and we can rest in him. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you this morning. We humble ourselves before your throne. We know that this time of the year is a time in which there's a lot of just busyness going on. We know, Lord God, that, uh, that really this time of the year is all about when you sent your son to come to the earth to reveal your glory in him. I pray, Lord God, that there wouldn't be a day in this month of December that would go by that we would not think and be thankful of that sacrifice that you made by sending your son to die for us. I pray, Lord God, that we, whether it's a comfort or an encouragement or a challenge, Lord God, I pray, Father, that we would uh, change the way that we look at, at the waiting. That maybe sometimes, God, that you are there, you're setting the stage. You're getting everything ready. You're getting us ready to reveal what you have in store. And maybe wait with eager anticipation, excited about that next step that you have for us as individuals or as a church or even as a nation. We can rest and know that you are the one that is in complete and total control. And I thank you, God, for that peace that it brings every believer in this room. I pray, Father God, that your glory would be one that we can just bask in. That we're not seeking to do anything for our own glory, but for yours alone. May your name be exalted above all other names. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.